We all know there are times when you don't have many choices in who you work with, like when a pipe bursts and you need a plumber right now. But when it comes to your mental health, you should have choices so you don't get stuck with a therapist who can't remember what you tell them every week. To find a good therapist for you, try ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book hundreds of types of doctors, including thousands of mental health providers. We're talking about therapists, psychologists, and psychiatrists. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of patient-reviewed in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. The typical wait time to see a mental health provider booked on ZocDoc is just four days. That's it. You can even score same-day appointments, either online or in person. I use this, and you should too. Go to ZocDoc.com stronger and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash stronger. ZocDoc.com slash stronger. The way I like to picture it is uh, like I've got a glass that is just over the brim with water. It's barely not, not leaking over the side. And then when life happens, which it's going to, that water spills everywhere. So my goal is how can I get way upstream and build this non-anxious life, build some margin in my calendar, in my finances, in my relationships, deal with, like you said, loneliness, so that when life hits, that glass is basically empty and it's got capacity to absorb that water that just gets dumped in there. Welcome to Mentally Stronger, the show that will help you develop the mental strength you need to reach your greatest potential, no matter what life throws your way. I'm Amy Morin, psychotherapist, mental strength trainer, and an international best-selling author of five books on mental strength. Every Monday, I introduce you to a guest whose story and expertise can inspire you to think, feel, and do your best in life. And the fun part is, we record it all from a sailboat in the Florida Keys. Now, let's dive into today's episode. Do you feel anxious much of the time? Do you avoid doing things because your anxiety is too high? Do you wish that you felt calmer and less stressed out? If the answer to any of those questions is yes, today's episode is for you. I'm talking to Dr. John Deloney. He's a mental health expert and the host of the popular podcast, The Dr. John Deloney Show. He's also a best-selling author, and today he's talking about his newest book, Building a Non-Anxious Life. Who doesn't want that? His book breaks down practical strategies that we can start using in everyday life to ward off anxiety and feel better. Some of the things he talks about today are how today's world is meant to keep you in a state of anxiety, the steps you can take to combat anxiety, and how to shift the way that you think about anxiety. Make sure to stick around until the end of the episode for The therapist Take. It's the part of the show where I'll break down my favorite strategies from Dr. Deloney and share how to apply them to your life. So here's Dr. John Deloney on how to build a non-anxious life. Dr. John Deloney, welcome to Mentally Stronger. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm grateful that, that uh, you've opened up your house for me. I'm excited to talk to you because normally you're the one answering questions when people call into your podcast. So I'm like, yay, now I get to ask you <laughs> questions. I love it. I love it. What Are you ever surprised by the questions people call into your podcast and ask you? Um, occasionally. Um, usually I'm surprised by two things. One, I'm still stunned at um, 
how lonely people are. And so I am often like, why are you calling me? I'm a random podcaster in Nashville and we've never met and your mom's got cancer. And so that, that catches me off guard, just how truly people have nobody to call, um, no objective uh, third party. And then the second one is, um, I'm sometimes surprised by people calling in thinking that problem A is the issue, but it's actually problem B, C, and D is way more of the issue. And so those th two things are surprises. But when it comes to my wife did X with so-and-so, and, -so and nah, that never surprises me. I've just sat with people too long. Nothing, nothing surprises me anymore. Uh, I agree, though, about sometimes people, when they call about a problem, as a therapist, people come into my office and often the problem they walk in the door with is the symptom of a of a bigger problem. Right. And to uncover that sometimes takes takes a little bit of time. But you're on a radio show, so you only have a, <laughs> a few minutes to try to figure this out. Do you, what are the most common questions people call in to talk to you about? Almost always it's relationship issues, boundary issues, and um, that terrifying, what do I do next question. And that can be any number of things. I used to think that people um, called in because I was so smart, because I was a genius and I was the smartest person they'd ever, they'd ever talked to. And about six to nine months into the show, I realized people aren't calling for my answer most of the time because most of the time they know. What people are calling for is they've never had somebody just sit with them and look, them, look at them in the eye, even though we're on the phone, listen to them without a ulterior motive and without some prearranged plan. And um, so I think that's the most common reason people call is just to have somebody sit with them while they say this awful thing out loud. Yeah, because you get some questions that are just kind of stress-related or financial, yeah. but you get some really deep problems people call about too. It's almost like <laughs> right. they're revealing these huge secrets uh, on yeah. your show. The number of people who've told me this is the first time I've ever told anybody this, that's staggering to me. Yeah. And so you just wrote this new book called Building a Non-Anxious Life. Based on the calls you get on your show, are we a pretty anxious group these days? Yeah. Um, if you lump in, I, I used to be like a freedom fighter for the word, like any, any clinical word. So when someone say I was anxious, I would like push my nerd glasses up my nose and be like, actually, anxiety is a diagnosis and what you're feeling is stress. I, I'm done with that. Like, it's just the word that we all use for burnout or chronic stress or trauma that's still just bouncing around or any number of things. And so I just went with it. And so when you use the word anxiety as we use it in our culture these days, it's a staggering. I would go as high as one out of two. Um, people are dealing with some sort of every minute of every day, that low level hum that things aren't okay and I'm not okay. Um, yeah, it's a really, it's a frighteningly high number. I had somebody say that to me recently. They said, oh, you must see mostly depression in your therapy office. And I said, no, actually, it's anxiety by far. Yeah. And I was glad that in your book, you redefined anxiety. It was one of the things you started with. Because I, I do think it's misunderstood. Like, we should have some anxiety in life. Otherwise, you wouldn't save money for a rainy day or you wouldn't right. look both ways before we you cross die. the road. We would die, right, right, right. Right. Yeah. As a clinician, did that, did the redefinition, did it, did it ring true? Yeah, yeah. I think you did a really good job of explaining that there's a difference between everyday anxiety, clinical anxiety, but also that it can be helpful in some situations, but sometimes we feed into it and we fuel it with our everyday activities, which I definitely want to get into 
in a minute, but do you want to just give a quick overview of, of what anxiety is and how you define it? Uh, yeah, the way I define it is, is ba based out of kind of a reimagination of this idea of mental health. And I think over the last 150 years, we've convinced people th the prevailing psychological ethos has been people are malfunctioning. They're broken. They're engines that aren't working right. And um, I heard is about 10 years ago, someone was talking about the genetic component, component of ADHD, and they just dropped a throwaway line in that, in that lecture, which was, there's 0% chance, none, 0% chance that everybody had a genetic alteration at the same time. He said it just defies how genes change and move over centuries. And I remember thinking 10 years ago, oh, so maybe our bodies are working exactly like they're supposed to. And that's been my, that's been a, like a, a thread I've been chasing down for a decade, which is I, I think people's bodies are working great. It's this environment that we've created that we don't want to say no to. And so if I'm pressed on a definition of anxiety, it's simply a smoke alarm in your kitchen letting you know that something in your house is on fire. It absolutely is not the problem, almost always. And that's not, if you had epilepsy or something like that or some neurological challenges, but um, almost always, it's simply your body trying to get your attention. And that makes it more of a companion than it does an enemy. I like that analogy because just like I might burn some toast and accidentally set off the fire alarm, doesn't mean the kitchen's actually on fire, but my it reacts like there is, right? There's something beeping. There's a loud noise. Right. I meant to get my attention. And I think our anxiety served us well in the caveman days where you would have to run from a hungry lion. But in today's world, most of us aren't faced with those life and death circumstances. But I think the notifications on our phones all day long and the things that we live with cause us to almost feel like we're in a constant panic. Yeah, it's it, and I would go deeper than just the phones. I think the phones are symptomatic too. It's these wild, madhouse lives that are so detached from reality that not we want, but we're going to live in that house and we're going to drive that car and we're going to go to that school and we're going to have that like romantic partner. And we just, it doesn't matter what that costs us. And so I love to tell folks, <laughs> your body would be failing you if it let you sleep all night and you owe a hundred grand in student loans and you have a mortgage and two car payments because your brain may know full well you got a great APR on that house and you got 60 months, no interest. You got you don't have to pay interest for 60 months. That's an amazing mathematical deal. And your amygdala knows, oh, dude, if, if, if they do one round of layoffs, you lose your house, your kids don't have groceries, you lose your car. So your body be failing you, right? It'd be letting you down if it let you sleep all night because it is at war. There is a bear at the door and the bear these days is called normal. And so it's beginning to step back and say, I really wanted to be president of this organization, but I don't know that I'm built for that life. I don't know if I want to miss all these T-ball games and all of the X and all of the Y and all of the Z. And I don't know if I want my wife to come home and not like me, even though I'm president, right? So it's just kind of a reckoning that we have, we've created lives that our bodies can't exist in and it's not our body's fault. Do you think then that most of us have fallen for the American dream and we're trying to achieve way too much or think that money is actually, doing more? I don't, I don't think American dream's the issue. I think it is a relentless um, pathologization of discomfort. 
Do you want to get high-quality meat delivered straight to your house? Or in my case, a sailboat? Try ButcherBox. It saves me time and money. And if you order right now, Mentally Stronger listeners can get steak, chicken, or salmon free in every single order for an entire year. I love that ButcherBox offers grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, and wild-caught seafood. There are no antibiotics or added hormones. They even offer vegetarian options. ButcherBox lets you decide how often you want deliveries, and you can pick a curated plan, or you could completely customize your box. Sign up at butcherbox.com stronger and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free-for-a-year offer, plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com stronger and use code STRONGER to choose your free-for-a-year offer. Plus, get $20 off your first order. Um, I, I think uh, striving and achievement and trying to make your community and your home better for you, your neighbors, and your grandkids is not a bad ideal. And I think the idea that um, there's not some centralized um, power monger saying, this half, y'all get to do this. This quarter, y'all have to do this. I'm, I'm glad for that. So I don't, I don't blame the American dream as much as I think we've forgotten that in pursuit of a dream, that doesn't mean everything's got to be comfortable. Because if everything's comfortable, then you demonize discomfort. And it's like going to the gym and taking all the weight off the bar. Like you're never going to get any stronger. And so to get a, a dream, you have to say no to things. And you have to endure hardship and loss and failure and stumbling. And when we can't acknowledge oh, that guy's actually right. My idea doesn't, doesn't work. And instead, I just go to war against this guy and we create political divisions between us. I think that becomes the problem. So I'm way more concerned about our fear of being uncomfortable. Um, if you stop, if you avoid discomfort as though it's the problem, what you end up with is a bubble-wrapped life of comfort, comfort only, and you expect the world to bend its arc to your comfort level and you end up becoming the god of your own universe and when you do that you end up worshiping feelings which were never designed to tell us the truth they were designed to get our attention and um now you look around and that's the world we've created for ourselves yeah it's tough not to live in that world right it's so hard buy anything and have it delivered the next day you don't have to wait you don't really have to be bored anymore because you have all of these electronics and gadgets and things that will entertain you and we fill our lives with lots of stuff, right? Right. Yeah, I, uh, I, was, I was reading a book about depression just yesterday because I don't have any friends and I'm kind of a nerd. And uh, the guy brought up, so this is a 10-year-old book, and he brought something up uh, that I had never thought of about working out. He said, there's a reason why your body fights you to go to the gym because it's such a evolutionarily um, backwards way of living your life because... <laughs> hunter-gatherers walked 20 miles a day to get food and to get water. And the idea that they're going to carve out an hour to exercise would have been a complete waste of calories and time that it was otherwise spent surviving. And so gearing up to go to the gym, your body has every invested, every vested interest in not letting you do that, right? And that never occurred to me, right? So yeah, to, to make some of these changes that we have to make in the modern world, you got to go against the grain, both culturally and sometimes against your own nature. Yeah, that does make sense when you put it like that. And you wrote this book not just because you wanted other people to know about it, but because you've experienced anxiety as well, right? 
Yeah, I've experienced it both clinically and uh, about a decade ago, I just got melted. And um, and then if I'm being super candid, I changed careers and now I used to be a chief student affairs officer at a university. And now I'm, as my kid says, just a dumb YouTuber. And um, so when I made that transition, man, it was write what you can write and put out as much, um, as many videos and helpful ideas as you can. And in the pursuit of yet another group of likes and yet another round of book sales and another round of, I want to get on this media platform so I can get on this one, so I can get on this one. Um, it was my wife that called out halfway through writing this book. She's like, dude, you're heading down a, on a bullet train towards old John. And I lived with that guy 10 years ago and he almost didn't make it. And I don't want to see my husband die. And that was a stark. So this book is written to me as much as it's written to the single mom with two kids or to the, you know, the guy who's the electrician just trying to figure out how to be a better dad. Um, it's, uh, it's me pulling up a bar stool and saying, yeah, me too, guys. Right. Because I think no matter where you are in life, whether you are a single parent or you're somebody who's a content creator, we all experience anxiety just about different things, but the emotion is still the same. The drive is often still the same. But I think sometimes when we think about anxiety, people imagine somebody pacing the floors and wringing their hands and unable to function. But in your book, you talk about different ways that anxiety can look. Sometimes people become perfectionists. Sometimes it looks like overactivity. Other times it's about avoidance. Can you talk a little bit about how anxiety looks in different people? Yeah, it's actually my frustration with the diagnostic. It's pretty much if you've just had these experienced some things over this period of time, then you have a thing. And it's tough because if you have strep throat, everybody knows it looks like this, right? Um, but if you have anxiety, it can be that you're talking too much and too fast. And then you have those cycles of shame when you leave a, on your way home. You're like, I can't believe I said that. That was so stupid. Oh no. I'm going to text them and make sure everything's cool. Um, or you just don't go or you show up and you sit in the, in the corner because your heart's racing so fast. Um, I was just, just before this podcast, I was doing a quick talk in front of uh, about a thousand people. And there was somebody on stage with me and we were heading up on stage and he said, I, I can't breathe. Like he was so nervous. And I said, I think I could take my pants off and just be up there in my boxer briefs. And I don't think my heart rate would change. And he's like, I hate you. And I realized <laughs> that his anxiety about the same exact situation I was, cause I do that for a living. So it, it didn't even register that that's a nerve wracking thing. Um, so it expresses itself all over the place in a bunch of different ways. And so instead of chasing down, do I have this thing? I think it's a futile moving target that is helpful in some rare situations, but I think it's more helpful to say, okay, my body's trying to get my attention. What's it trying to protect me from? That's a much more um, fruitful line of curiosity than what do I have, right? Right, because sometimes it does. It's about the thoughts that we have where we are overthinking and we're second-guessing everything we oh, did. Oh, geez, yeah. I'm a, I'm a bad ruminator, yeah. Right, and it's tough to break out of that cycle, but there's also the physiological response when you start to feel physically sick yeah. or your heart's racing, your palms get sweaty. That person who was scared to get on stage probably had this immediate physiological reaction. Oh, yeah, was like, he, he, he was describing that warmth in your stomach, right? When your boss yeah. calls you at four and says, be in my office in five minutes and your whole body just whoosh, right? Um, and then some people start ginning up excuses. All right, I'm going to say this, I'm going to say this. If he says this, I'm going to get so... And then other people just get catatonic. Um, and really, I, I, the helpful way, again, is to think about it is, 
boom, your body just went to fight. Your body just went to flight. Your body just went to freeze. What's it trying to protect you from right now? And that line of thinking, is that boss going to fire you? No, that guy's amazing. He or she's wonderful. Is your wife really hate you? No. Um, does your neighbor really hate you? Maybe. Now, now I've got a fire that I need to go deal with, right? Not just try to have another drink or have another drink or um, do something to numb and to cover up that alarm system, right? Yeah, our natural reaction seems to be to turn to anything we can to feel better instantly. And depending on what the problem is and who we are, it might be that we eat too much or that we over-prepare, you research incessantly <laughs> on something, that can be me sometimes. Mm-hmm. And instead of just sitting with the feeling and saying, like, why do I feel this way and, and how do I cope with it? Yeah, uh, and, and almost, yeah, what's my body trying to tell me? Oh, my body's trying to tell me that we're really nervous. You don't really need that cupcake, John, right? You don't need another bag of candy, John. Um, your body's trying to tell you that you're worn out. You don't need another drink, you need to go to bed, right? Um, hey, you're about to text that, woman back that you're not married to, but she laughs at your jokes and she tells you that you look good in X, Y, and Z shirts. You don't really like her. You like how she makes you feel and you've lost that with your current partner. You only need to have a hard conversation, right? So it's just your body's just trying to give you some some direction on, on how to heal. And we just have a, an ecosystem, a culture that's designed to shut that alarm system off. So then what do you do? Sometimes there's a problem that we can solve. Like, all right, I have this anxiety because I have a a meeting coming up and maybe I need to prepare for it. But sometimes we have anxiety because maybe we're lonely or maybe we just feel bad about something that happened in the past. What can you do when it's something like that and you can't necessarily solve the problem? I think there's two things. The first one is um, like the whole premise of the book. Like my mom's going to get sick someday. I'm going to have, one of my kids is going to experience a deep and profound heartbreak. Someone's going to break their heart. I might kill them, but someone's going to break my kid's heart, right? Um, my wife and I have been married 21 years. We're going to have another tough, tough season, probably a couple of them, right? I know that's coming. And so if I live my life where I'm surrounded by clutter, I'm surrounded by, I, I, I live a calendar that if I miss the first meeting by five minutes, it takes me three days to recover. If I've got some nine nine, uh, some soccer coach of my nine-year-old who's telling me and my family what we're going to do the next seven years of Saturdays and Sundays and how much we're going to travel and how expensive it's going to be. If I have a toxic boss or I haven't dealt with childhood traumas, then the way I like to picture it is uh, like I've got a glass that is just over the brim with water. It's barely not, not leaking over the side. And then when life happens, which it's going to, that water spills everywhere. So my goal is how can I get way upstream and build this non-anxious life, build some margin in my calendar, in my finances, in my relationships, deal with, like you said, loneliness, so that when life hits, that glass is basically empty and it's got capacity to absorb that water that just gets dumped in there. And I tell a story in the book, my cousin died about nine months, maybe a year ago now, And because my wife and I have been working to build this thing for 15 years, and especially the last decade, when this thing happened, we bought plane tickets, we went and visited, and I was never anxious. I was so heartbroken, and I was so sad. I love this guy. But I was never anxious. And when inflation hit, I was pissed, and I was super frustrated, and I was annoyed annoyed that politicians were sitting in a sandbox throwing crayons at each other instead of actually solving some of these problems. 
But my body never left the building on me. I never spun out because I wasn't anxious because I was less concerned about money because for 15 years, my wife and I worked really hard to not owe anybody, right? So it's this, and both of us grew up with nothing. And so it was a, it was a conscious decision to live differently. So all that to say is, if you're going to get upstream, you begin to build a life so that when your alarms do go off, it's for something very serious. And otherwise, the alarms don't go off. You, you know, I'm dealing with toast. That's a, it's a janky toaster. I'm going to make sure it doesn't stay in all the way because it'll set the alarm off. Um, and then you got to deal and confront with those things head on. Like, hey, I don't have any friends. I don't have anybody to call at 2 a.m. I just read another article this morning about the loneliness epidemic. Um, I owe $100,000. And my job doesn't make enough. And the town I live in is too expensive. You got some hard, hard reality to deal with. Not fun, not exciting. But man, if you deal with it, there's peace on the other side. And so on and so forth. And so in the book, you come up with these six daily choices. Things that we can work on. Let's talk about a couple of them. Because uh, I think that they, on the surface, you'd think, wait, how's that going to help? But then in the chapters, you dive in and explain a little bit more. Can you explain what you mean about freedom? Yeah. Um, when I say you have to choose, uh, well, the first out of the gate is I think um, we have to stop outsourcing our lives to other folks. And the hmm. current narrative on mental health is if this thing has happened to you, if you've been um, a part of a community that's been on the margins, if you had this sort of assault happen to you or this sort of abuse happen to you, if you hurt somebody, you're always going to be less than, you're always going to be malfunctioning or not enough. And somebody's got to come rescue you. Somebody else has to tell your story. Somebody else has to solve you because you're less than. And I just reject that out of hand. Um, you're not the worst thing that ever happened to you. And you're definitely not the worst thing you've ever done. You have to get to that place where you ask the question, okay, so what am I going to do now? Given the context of this, of the planet I got dropped into and the community and culture and neighborhood I got dropped into, what am I going to do now? And so it's about making choices, which is not popular. And it's not even fun to say sometimes, but it's the truth. Um, you got to teach your brain that you have taken over. You're in the driver's seat of your own life now. And you're not sitting in the back seat waiting for somebody to come give you some rescue message. And so when I talk about choosing freedom, what I'm choose talking about is choosing a life where other people aren't dictating what you do and how you do it. The nerd word, you, as you know, is agency or autonomy. When your body knows that you're not in control of your own life, it will sound the anxiety alarms. It knows you're not safe because somebody else is driving. And so what does that mean in real time? That means work, start today and work really, really hard to not owe anybody any money. But, oh, there's good debts and there's credit card points. Don't owe anybody any money because there's part of your brain that knows I got a good deal. But your amygdala and the part of your brain designed to keep you safe knows you're not okay. You're not safe. I don't care what the interest rate on your mortgage is. I don't care what the interest rate is on your credit card. I just don't care. I don't care how good of a deal you got for student loans. Don't owe anybody any money because the bank decides what you do tomorrow, not you. There are millions of Americans about to have to start repaying their student loans in October because they believed with all their heart and I did too, that the government was going to relieve everybody of their student loans and it didn't come through. And so here we are, right? If you didn't owe those loans, if you'd worked really hard, and I have the privilege of sitting with literally thousands of people who have done it, uh, millions of people who have done it, um, they don't care. Forget what the government's doing. I don't care. I could care less what they're doing because I signed my name to a piece of paper and I took care of it. 
And additionally, clutter, um, and there's a direct link between clutter um, and a brain and a body designed for scarcity. We now have storage spaces for all of our extra stuff. And we have books that signal to the world that we've read things that are important. And we've got clothes that signal to the world that we have value. And we outsource our internal value or internal identity to stuff. And um, there's just a direct inverse relationship to less junk and um, better anxiety outcomes. Um, and then you get, you get into calendar we talked about, which is our calendars are chaotic. And then boundaries. How many people still have in-laws that are telling them what they're going to do for the holidays, right? Um, how many people still have a boss that says, oh, you will come in on Saturday, even though you have a soccer game and you promised your daughter you're going to take her for pancakes. Um, if you don't owe anybody any money, you can look at your boss and say, actually, I'm not. I'm not. And uh, have a great weekend, but I'm not going to do that. If if you get to decide what you do tomorrow, not your mortgage company, then when your boss says, you do it or else, you can be like, all right, have a great week and I wish you the best. I'm out. And um, in this current hiring climate, my guess is they're going to let you stay. So it's just about regaining agency. And when you begin to, you just take out a yellow pad and a piece of paper and a pen and just begin to write down who owns you, the bank, your mother-in-law, your grandmother, uh, your, your romantic partner. Many people, it's their kids. Tell them what they're going to eat for dinner, what they're going to watch on TV. They've outsourced, the adults have outsourced their lives to their children. A soccer coach, a dance coach. Who's running your, a minister, right? Some, some well-meaning pastor in some community that's just like, you're going to be here on Sundays and Wednesdays and you're going to give us this much money on top of. Who's running your life? And as you begin to tick those things off, some of those will take five minutes, some of those will take five years, but that's worth the investment. And when you get back in the driver's seat of your own life, your body goes, ah. and um, maybe the most common thing I hear, I, I, I work on, on the Ramsey Show too, a co-host a show that helps people get out of debt. And they say the word over and over and over, and it kind of becomes a buzzword, something you stitch into a pillow, but it's true. They just keep talking about this piece that they didn't understand on the back end of not owning anybody anything. Their house just feels different because it's theirs. Their car feels different because it's theirs. And they get a dent in it and they don't care because it's theirs. It's just a different way to do life that's so countercultural. And I think when you talk about boundaries, sometimes people think boundaries are about having strict rules and they don't put boundaries no. in the same category as then having freedom, but to be able to say no and to have more choices and to say, here's the life I want to live and other people can follow these rules or respect them or not. But either way, I'm still going to live the kind of life that I want. Yeah. Boundaries, I think, um, are the reverse golden rule. Like we remember back when we were kids, like do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I think within the last 25 years, we flipped that. We talked to ourselves so bad. We hate ourselves. We don't think we're pretty enough or good looking enough. We don't think we're smart enough. We don't think we have enough. We just don't like ourselves. And so we often treat other people way better than we treat ourselves. And so boundaries is a way to say, hey, I want to be the best dad I can, the best mom I can, the best parent I can, the best neighbor I can. And so I have to do the things that keep me whole and well. I have to say yes to things. I have to say no to things. I have to be a steward of my body, a steward of my of my spiritual life, a steward of my financial life, so that I can repel off the edge. I'm so anchored in, I can repel off the edge and love recklessly and give like a maniac and be that parent that shows up to everything because I've taken care of the stuff up upstream. And again, going back to an earlier part of our conversation, a lot of that is really uncomfortable. 
it is not fun for two years not going into a restaurant because you're trying to not owe anybody anything. It's really uncomfortable coming up with yet another free date to go on. There's only so many hikes around the lake you can have before it's not romantic. It's just cheap, right? Um, it, but, but again, you're solving for freedom. You're choosing freedom. I'm choosing a life where my heart rate is so much lower because my body's not fighting every second of every day. Just a different way of doing it. And you talk in the book about some of these other choices, but one of them is health and healing. And you are very upfront that sometimes we have trauma. Sometimes we need to get professional help. Sometimes it is about making sure that we're taking care of ourselves and healing those past wounds. Yeah. Um, I reject wholeheartedly out of hand anybody that says you don't need a, you don't need a, you don't need counselors. Counselors are dumb. You don't need therapists. You just, they're just replacements for friends. I tell you this halfway through this book, again, I had that confrontation with my wife, not a bad confrontation, but just to her calling me out. Um, and I went and saw a trauma counselor for the first time. I wrote a book, a number one best-selling book on trauma. And I had never sat down and done the scary hard work. And so I went, I told that therapist some things I'd never told anyone, zero people, not even my wife of 20 years at the time. And since then, I've um, done some significant body work, some significant healing that I just simply could not do on my own, period. And so there is a place, if you're dealing with childhood abuse, go get a professional and sit with them. If you're dealing with um, um, sexual assault, you're dealing with being kicked on the margins, having somebody sit with you and say, I hear you and I see you and I still love you is incredibly valuable. We used to have faith communities that did that. We used to have, the, I mean, those are just going away. And so having somebody you reach out with professional training is such a gift. Um, and then this is, again, not popular to talk about, but I just think it's a, it's a dishonest to not talk about it. Um, when you look at our health, our global health issues, especially in the United States, it's a disaster. We're dying younger. That's insane for how much money we dumped into that system and how smart our research scientists and our doctors happen to be. Um, the obesity levels are terrifying. The metabolic health is terrifying globally. The diabetes is terrifying. And these are all solvable issues. And so, if you treat your car or your home or your bank account better than your body, that's backwards, right? So your body, if you're not well, if you're starting every morning with four Red Bulls, just so you can prop yourself up, um, if you sleep four hours a night, your body's going to sound the alarms because it's not okay. And so, yeah, you can't expect to be, you can go to all the therapy in the world. You can go to all, do all the, get all the friends in the world. You can owe nobody and nothing. And if your body detects that you're um, that it's it's not healthy, it's going to sound the alarms. You got to face health and healing head on. Absolutely. Your book's filled with more concrete strategies about how to deal with anxiety, how to build this non-anxious life. And I think a lot of our our listeners are going to benefit from from learning more about how we look at the bigger picture of life. So, John Deloney, thank you so much for being on Mentally Stronger. And I hope all of our listeners go pick up a, a copy of Building a Non-Anxious Life. Hey, thank you for your hospitality. I'm super, super grateful. And nobody has ever accused me of being mentally strong. So I'm going to tell them I was on your podcast and that's proof. Excellent. Please do. <laughs> Welcome to The Therapist Take. Dr. Deloney shared so many great tips for managing anxiety, but here are three of my favorite strategies. Number one, stop viewing anxiety as the problem. I like this idea because anxiety is often a symptom of another problem or it's your body's way of alerting you that something might be wrong. But when we jump in and immediately try to resolve our anxiety, 
we might miss out on recognizing the problem right in front of us. Your anxiety might stem from the fact that you're overbooked or that you're not putting your priorities in the right order. Or it might be telling you that something is really important to you, and that's why you're anxious about work or a relationship. It's not necessarily a problem. It might just be something that you can learn from. The exception is if you've developed a diagnosable anxiety disorder. If your anxiety is making it difficult to function, get professional help. Anxiety is one of the most treatable yet undertreated mental health conditions. Number two, prioritize your well-being. Dr. Deloney talks about the importance of taking care of ourselves. But I know how easy this is to say, yet hard it is to do. We often think we'll take care of ourselves later or that we'll deal with a problem when things slow down or once we get caught up. Whenever I start to think those kinds of thoughts, I'm reminded that the happiest, most successful people who often have really important jobs say the reason they got to where they are now isn't because they put off taking care of themselves. It's because they created time to exercise and they carved out time to go to the doctor and they made sleep a top priority. When you take care of yourself, you feel better and you perform better. But so often we put self-care at the bottom of the list because we think that we'll have time to address those things later. And number three, set boundaries that help you become your best. So often people tell me they don't want to set boundaries because they don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. But what if you looked at boundaries as a sign that you're being kind to yourself, not mean to somebody else? You're showing other people your expectations, and that's actually a kind thing to do. You can say no to people who ask for favors. You can tell somebody that you expect them to be on time. You can end conversations that you don't want to participate in. And you can leave when people are behaving in a way that goes against your values. I know that setting boundaries provokes anxiety if you're not used to it. But doing so can relieve anxiety in the long run. So those are three of Dr. Deloney's strategies that can help you grow mentally stronger. Stop viewing your anxiety as the problem, prioritize your well-being, and set boundaries that help you become your best. To learn more of Dr. Deloney's strategies, check out his book, Building a Non-Anxious Life. Thank you for hanging out with us today and for listening to Mentally Stronger. If you know somebody who could benefit from learning skills to manage their anxiety, share this show with them. Sharing a link could help someone feel better and grow stronger. Do you want free access to my online course? It's called 10 Mental Strength Exercises That Will Help You Reach Your Greatest Potential. To get your free pass, just leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Then send us a screenshot of your review. Our email address is podcast at amymorinlcsw.com. We'll reply with your all-access pass to the course. And as always, a big thank you to my show's producer, who says you should never check your email from bed because it causes anxiety, Nick Valentine. <laughs>